discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. What to do with the first coming of Christ? Hallelujah. And I gave you point number one as well. Awakening to the fatherhood of God. Awakening to the fatherhood of God. Okay. Which means awakening to who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, isn't it? Then the second thing we mentioned was awakening to the importance of your spiritual growth. Being conscious of the day of your presentation to the Lord. Hallelujah. And we are still on that particular point. And uh, today I want to share some more concerning that. Okay. And uh, before I go on, I want us to share a word of prayer briefly and then we'll start. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us in every single statement. Thank you for the precious ministry of your Holy Spirit and the precious ministry of your word, which are functioning right now in our lives. Thank you for fruitfulness on every sphere of our lives as we hear your word. Thank you that these words are working in us. We're not just hearers only, but doers. And we are growing from one level of glory to another. Living in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want to start from Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29. I have some very exciting um, things to share with you this evening. Let's read from verse 28. I think it will be nice from verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that is Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is showing you why you go born again. He gave birth to you, he got you born again for one purpose. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he foreknew us. He says he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of a son. The word image there is icon. Let's really amplify it so that we try and understand even some more. For those whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning, foreordaining them to be molded into the image of a son and share inwardly his likeness that he might become the first one among many brethren. There's a little problem with this one even. He says, to share inwardly his likeness. Actually, we share his likeness inwardly, immediately we become born again. We are just like Christ. The Bible says, as yes, so are we now in this world. So actually, this is in reference to an outward likeness. Because inwardly we are like him. First John chapter 4, verse 17 mentions it. Let's look at First John 4, 17. In the King James, please. This hearing is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we now in this world. We bear his image. Do you see? We bear his image now. And it's inward. It's the new man. 
That is the, the new creature. That is who you really are. Okay? But then that new creature must grow or must have preeminence through your soul into your body for what is inside your spirit to show up in your body. And that process is what is called spiritual growth, like I told you the last time. Hallelujah. So he wants all of us to be molded into the image, for us to conform to the image of the Son, who is Jesus Christ, so that he will be the firstborn among many brethren, meaning that we are all brothers. He wants us to look the same, to think the same, to talk the same, to relate the same, to have the same effects, have the same results. Because as he is, so are we now in this world. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, the Bible lets us know that, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as far as we are concerned, when it comes to us, Christ is now our righteousness. Our righteousness is a person, his name is Christ. Our sanctification is a person, his name is Christ. And our redemption is a person, his name is Christ. And Christ is perfect. And all this is a reference to the new man, to your spirit. It's not to your body or to your soul. Okay? So he wants your soul to conform, and he wants your body to conform to what has happened already in your spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we are one with him, spiritually speaking. But that reality must come through our souls into our bodies and into our environment. And that's what spiritual growth has to do with. So he wants all of us to look like Jesus, exactly like Christ. So he talks about Christ being formed in you. And I, you see, that Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ will have dominion over you. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Hallelujah. So, this is the desire of God. God wants us to grow. It's his utmost desire so that his son will have preeminence. Look at Colossians 1, verse 18. Colossians 1, 18. He says, and he's the head of the body. That's Christ, right? Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Then he says, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's called the firstborn from the dead. He's not the only born out of the dead. He's the first to be born out of the dead. All of us have been born out of the dead. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. The new birth is a birth out of death. Because we, we died with him. And then we came out of the graves with him, spiritually speaking. So he wants me to be the firstborn among many brethren, so that you have the preeminence. You have the first place in all things. Hallelujah. And he wants us to grow onto a perfect man. You see. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, you see it once again. This is so important to God. Your spiritual development, your spiritual growth is so important to God. Don't downplay it. Awaken to that fact. That's the second important thing to do with Christ's first coming. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the purpose of perfecting the saints or growing the saints or maturing the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you see? Fully fitting the saints, equipping the saints. Let's look at the Amplified of this verse. His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people. Have you seen it? That they should do the work of ministry toward building up Christ's body. That is a church. Are you the church? Yeah. I'm the church. You are the church. We must be built up in him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Go back to King James. So he gave all these people for the purpose of perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Then he says, this is supposed to go on until we come. We all come, all of us, not some of us, all of us come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of who? 
of the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. The word knowledge there is epignosis. It means full, precise, concise knowledge. A knowledge where the knower and the, and the known are united and hence produce results. What you know about Christ is no longer knowledge in a book, but it's something that is experiential for you. That's what he's talking about. So he says, so that we might all come in the nature of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. And I told you what the word perfect meant the last time. The word is teleos. The word teleos is the Greek word from which we get words like telescope, television, telephone, telegram. All the tele-tele things are from that particular word teleosis or teleos. What it means is that, you see, if you are watching television, for instance, or you are using a telephone, for instance, someone can be calling you from, um, from Finland, and you'll be in um, Japan, and you can communicate. And it's live communication. When the person says hello, it doesn't take three hours for you to hear the hello. That would be a difficult way of communicating. When, you, when the person says hello, within some few seconds you hear it. Do you see? So but he's talking about us coming to a place where what happens with Christ in heaven? What happens with Christ? What happens in heaven is our earthly experience. Please, you understand? That's what God wants. You're an earthly expression of what happens in the heavens. Amazing. To the knowledge of the Son of God, then it says, unto a perfect man. And what it means to be a perfect man is to be unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wants us to have the same stature as Christ. The same measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's read the Amplified. I'm sure it will help us a little bit. Verse 13. That it might develop unto we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Have you seen it? We might arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. I don't know if you're catching it. He says he wants your personality to come to the standard height of Christ's own perfection. Your personality is the personality of Christ. It's just like the soul of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in him. This is God's aim. This is why he gives us pastors and all of those people to help us grow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You're a brother, I'm a brother, she's a brother. All of us are brothers of Christ. He wants him to be the firstborn among many brethren. We all have the same personality, same soul. Because we have the same inwardly, but he wants us to be shaped outwardly, just like he is. Respond like he, he responded on earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a shock. So tonight I want to show you, there are different grades, different stages to spiritual maturity. And you see it in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. Uh, look at it. Let's look at Ephesians 2. 1. It says, my little children. So they are little children in the growth processes. They are babes. They are those who are freshly born. When you become born again, you are born fresh as a child of God into the kingdom of God. But that is not the end. You are expected to grow. That is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. If you remember, I read it to you the last time. It says, as newborn babes, 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes, okay, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word babes there is brephos. is one who was freshly born. That's a Greek word. Brephos, B-R-P-H-O-S. One who is freshly born. So he says, as freshly born babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, the more you eat the word and the more you allow the word of God to have an effect on you and change your soul, the more you grow. And the more you grow, you grow out of babyhood 
into becoming a child. Okay, so First John chapter 2, verse 1. There are various stages. I shared this years ago. Um, I think it's called stages of, stages of growth. There's also one called um, the benefits of ministry materials. And you can listen to those ones. I went through all. There are about six or seven various stages that you can go through. But I just want to show you four of them right now. Okay? And just pass a few comments about it and continue. It says, my little children. This word here is technon. Those who have been born by God himself, but are growing. They are growing to a certain point. They are still trying to walk, find their footsteps in Christ. Hallelujah. So it says, my little children, these things write out unto you that you sin not. The little children are those who have all their life is about sin. They rise and then they fall. They rise and then they fall. It's just like trying to learn how to walk in the natural. There are a lot of things that are in the natural that has connotations in the spirit. Okay, God uses some natural things to explain things that happens in the spirit. And our spiritual growth is one of the major things that uh, is used. If you look at Luke, go to Luke. Let me show you this quickly. Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This has to do with the parable of the sower. And Jesus used something natural, sowing a seed and allowing it to grow and getting it reaped. Okay? Yet he was not talking about um, you planting seeds in your house or in your farm. That was not what he was talking about. He was talking about the word of God. He says that the parable is this. The seed that he spoke about is actually the word of God. So he used something natural to represent something spiritual. These are things that the Lord uses a lot. Okay? So, same thing with our, our spiritual growth. It looks very similar to our natural growth. Our growth naturally. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, there's a stage where you are learning how to walk. You know, and you keep falling. You do something wrong, you fall. Then he tells you to stand up. The fall is doing something wrong, sinning, doing something wrong. So, in that place, in First John 2, 1, he says that, My little children... These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you sin not. Then he goes on to say, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Then he says, and he's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's trying to let the little children know that don't allow sin to prevent you from going forward. You may do something wrong. You are still growing. Don't think that... What you did wrong means that God does not like you anymore. You cannot grow in the Lord anymore. God has thrown you away. You need to be born again and again and again and again. You see, he's trying to help the little children to understand what is going on. If you're trying to walk, you may stumble, okay, and fall. Yeah. But that does not mean that you'll never walk again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he tells them, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Christ Jesus is righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He shows you that there's an advocate for you. There's a lawyer who talks on your behalf. So stand up and continue working. I've had a lot of people doing one thing or the other and thinking that that is the end of their lives. Because they did this, is finished. No. You know, Christ loves us. Jesus loves us. God loves us. And he doesn't want anything to take us away from his kingdom. So no matter what happens to you, as a child, this is as a child, there are those who are growing and are expected to know better. Okay? Sometimes when I'm preaching like this, and there are people who have been in the system for a longer time and expected to grow, okay, who think along the same line that, oh, me too, I can do whatever I want to do, and God will still sort me out. It doesn't work like that. God expects you to grow. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So four major classes there. Newly born, then there's the one who is growing, okay, trying to walk. Then there's the young man that's found in 1 John 2, 12. 
says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. This is still to the little children. Have you seen it? Yeah. He's always talking about sin when it comes to little children. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Know that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be confident in the fact that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Next verse. When it gets to the young man, he addresses a completely different matter altogether. He says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So the fathers are those who have known him from the beginning. The fathers are those who are fully matured. So he says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. The word known there is to have intimacy. It's the same word that is used for a man um, having intimacy with his wife. Okay? In other words, the fathers are those who are on a certain level with the Lord. They have intimacy with the Lord. They know the Lord. They know him who is from the beginning. They know the eternal one. They've come into intimate knowledge of the eternal one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he says, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Have you seen it? So the young men are those who have overcome the wicked one. Who is the wicked one? The devil. They have knowledge concerning the authority in Christ. And it's not just knowledge. They exercise the authority over the devil in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Then he says, I write unto you little children because you have known the father. When it comes to the little children, he says, you have known the father. You know him as, you must be awakened to his father. That's what I mentioned the last time. Do you see? Know him as your father and how that he cares about you and he, he loves you and does not joke with you at all. But the fathers have a different kind of knowledge concerning the Lord. They know the eternal one. Not just as a father. They know that he's the judge of the universe. Go to the next verse. Verse 14. He says, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Once again, have you seen it? Yeah. Then he says, I've written unto you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abided in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So those are the young men. The young men are those who have cycled out of foolishness, cycled out of sin. And now are aware of who they are in Christ and are aware of their responsibilities and hence know who their enemy is and is ready to fight and push to make God's work and God's word go forward. Then the fathers are those who have come to know him as the eternal one and relate with him on that level. Hallelujah. Different levels. Different levels of knowledge. So today I want to share with you six factors for growing spiritually. Six factors that will help you to grow spiritually. Now we know how important it is for us to grow. We know that God is expecting us to go. He wants us to mature to manhood. Do you see? To become a perfect man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that he can place us as his matured sons on that day for us to rule and reign with him. I've showed you all the reasons why you need to go and mature spiritually. Now I want to show you how some of the things you can do to help you go. So six factors for growing up spiritually. The first one is to find out your spiritual nuclear family and plant yourself in order to grow. That's the number one thing you need to, to know or you need to put in place in order to grow up spiritually. Find out your spiritual nuclear family and plant yourself in order to grow. Find out your spiritual nuclear family and plant yourself in order to grow. Hallelujah. Like I was saying earlier, spiritual growth is similar to natural growth. No child is born by a tree. And children are actually the heritage of the Lord. A married couple can try for several years and not have a child. 
Because children are actually given by God. Nobody produces children on their own. Children are given by God. Hallelujah. Okay? God has allowed science to help to bring children to those who struggle along that line. So we have IVF and all of those things, which are very wonderful means of getting a child. It's still from the Lord because it's a seed from the woman and a seed from the man that are put together. You know, it's not manufactured in the lab somewhere. It's from you and then from him. They put it together and then they implant it into you once again. Hallelujah. So children are an heritage from the Lord. Uh, Psalm 127 verse 3. Look at Psalm 127 verse 3. Do you agree that children are from God yeah. and that no human being can manufacture another human being? They are trying, but it hasn't worked yet. Do you see? They are trying very hard, but it hasn't worked yet. For a human being to be born into the sword, he must be given by God. Do you understand? He says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's the Lord's reward. The fruit of the womb is the Lord's reward. Hallelujah. They are an heritage. Children are an heritage of the Lord. So a child that is born to parents, the child does not belong to the parents. That's why the parents cannot decide to do whatever they want to do with the child. That's why if you behead your child, the law will not take it easy with you. Do you see? You can't do that. It's not allowed at all. Because you are just a steward of the child. You are a steward of God towards the child. You are to take care of the child in a certain way. Okay? So they are an heritage from God. They are actually owned by God. God is the one who gives them to people, to parents. For parents to raise them, culture them, you know, uh, uh, feed them, protect them, care for them, and all of those things. The same thing happens spiritually speaking. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 3. It says, The elders which are among you are exalted, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Next verse. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. So he's talking about the church and he calls them God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So, Every child of God is an heritage of God, actually. Just as a natural child is an heritage of the Lord, the spiritual child is also an heritage of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God is referred to as the multi-breasted, multi-wombed one. When we say El Shaddai, that's what we are talking about. The word Jehovah El Shaddai means the multi-breasted one, the one who is big enough to be everything for you. He's all things for you. Hallelujah. He's a great provider. He's called the multi-breasted, multi-wombed one. So he gives birth to us. The Lord gives birth to us spiritually. No human being can, can be responsible for the new birth. The new birth is as a result of God's work in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. No human being was involved in that. It is God's work. James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will begat he us. Of God's own will he gave birth to us. So God is the one who gives birth to you. Is it true? Do you agree? Yes, yeah. We are given birth to by God. That's why we are children of God. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Born of God. So yeah. it's God who gives birth to you himself. And the womb that gives birth to you is a breast that feeds you. Yeah. No matter how large your breasts are as a lady, 
if you have not had a child, if you've not given birth, you cannot feed any child. There's no breast milk inside your breast to feed a child, no matter how large they may be. Do you see? Immediately a woman gives birth, the breast milk starts flowing. It's amazing. It's a miracle. As soon as the child comes up, boom, like that, the breast milk starts flowing immediately for the child to feed and to grow. So God is wise and God is smart. God does not allow his children to just exist. Immediately he gives birth to you. Remember, he gives birth to you. Immediately he gives birth to you. He has breasts for you to feed on for your development and for your growth. So he's called the multi-wound one because he gives birth to so many of us. And he's called the multi-breasted one because he has multiple breasts to feed. So many of his children. And they are specific breasts designed by God. Understand what I'm saying? Okay? I'm not saying you should go and Designed by God for the feeding of his children. I'm talking about ministries, churches, families, church families. That God has designed to feed his children. Where someone can grow up. A child of God can be raised and trained and cultured and cared for and protected. Just as you have it in the natural. You see, a child cannot feed for himself. He cannot fend for himself. He cannot protect himself. He will die less than a week. He will die. If a child is born fresh and then left in the open, that's the end. He's dead. And that's the trouble in the church now, in the body of Christ now, because there are a lot of people who are given birth to by God. We get them born again, but then we don't put them in any spiritual family. Do you see? We don't put them in any spiritual family. Some have been in family, spiritual families that they don't belong to. The breast they are lying under has no milk in there for them. So they are in churches and they don't understand what is going on. You've been in church for three years, four years, five years, and you don't understand what is going on. You don't understand what is going on. You are just there. You go to church and you come back. You go and come back. There's something wrong. You don't know the scriptures. You're not getting to know the Lord. What we are talking about with respect to growing the Lord is something that you are an alien to. It's a sign that you're in the wrong place. You need to find out your spiritual nuclear family and join yourself there, plant yourself there in order to grow. I mean, as soon as you're born again, he says you must desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. So how come you're born again now and now you don't even know anything about the word? You don't know anything. Then what is going to happen to you? You're going to just die out of the system. And this is what is happening to a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians. So sometimes you wonder, are they Christians or are they are not Christians? They are born again just that they've never been fed. They just came out, but they've never been fed. They've never been fed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God gives you parents, spiritual parents who will help you to grow in him. Just as we are given to physical parents to help us grow, to feed us, to protect us, to guide us and to have a shelter of our lives and protect us and comfort us and guide us and all of those things, direct us in life, the same is true in the spirit. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, God has prepared a breast for you to feed on. That will help you go. So sometimes I tell people, if you sit in this ministry for six months, a year, and you are not growing, get out. You need to go and find where God, start praying about it. Start praying about it. You need to find a place where you grow. This is too important. You, can't, you just can't be around. You can't play church. You can't just be in the system and say, this is my mother church. This is where my mother went to. And this was where I was born. I was baptized there as a baby. So this is where I'm supposed to be. No. Are you growing? The question is, are you growing the Lord? Are you getting to know Jesus some more? Do you even understand who Jesus is? Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you don't even know who he is. That's a problem. How come you don't know who he is? How come you're unable to jump over the same sin that was worrying you seven years ago? It's the same sin that is worrying you today. 
You've not grown to manage it and handle it the way God wants you to handle it. You've not outgrown some things. Your attitude is as stinky as it was five years ago. The anger has never left. It's still with you. You have not become as pleasant as you're supposed to be. You are bitter. You are depressed constantly. There's something wrong. The spiritual food that is designed to cure all those challenges is found in the word and it's found in God's house that is designed for you to be in. It's found in the family of God that God has designed for you to be in. So that you can be taken care of and helped. Hallelujah. This is so important. Without this, you have so much trouble. This is what is causing so much confusion in the house of God, in the church. So much confusion. Because you have a lot of babies with diapers sleeping in courts they are not supposed to be sleeping in. And fighting in the courts. Yeah. You have Christians just getting offended over nothing. Getting angry, insulting pastors, insulting the church. Christians. Christians who side with others against the church. Without thinking twice. They've not been taught. They've not been raised. Unskilled. Paul said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes. You are carnal. You are still carnal. Wow. wow. So God gives you men and women by which you believe. He gives you parents, spiritual parents who will help you to grow in the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So the Lord gives every man someone by whom he will believe. Not only the new birth. I'm talking about believing every single thing in the scriptures. Being taken through precept upon precept, line upon line, helping you grow and mature over a period. So that you can also help others grow and mature over a period. Do you see? This is so important. If natural growth is important, then spiritual growth is overly important, more than important than what you've thought. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. God gives to every man somebody by whom you shall believe. Through their ministry to you, through the word of God that is shared with you, through the family they create for you to exist in, you believe the word of God some more. And you grow as you're supposed to. You see that your mindset is changing as it's supposed to. You see that you're becoming more fruitful. When a sickness comes to your body, you know what to do. You will not go and look for somebody for consultation. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You, are, you have access to the word of God for yourself. Because you've been taught how to use the word of God for yourself. To produce results. You have access to resources to use. Do you go around begging people for food? No. Why? Because you have a house. Yeah. You have a house. Yeah. You have parents who provide. Yeah. The Bible says the one who's unable to provide for his family is, is worse than an infidel and has forsaken the faith. He has forgotten about the faith. Do you see? It's very, very important to provide for your own house. So the same way God puts you into a spiritual family, which can provide for you spiritually. Provide the word of God for you. Provide the spirit for you. Provide the anointing into your life. Provide an environment where you can grow with others. Do you see? Grow and flourish and thrive and become who God has designed for you to become. Without that, none of the other factors can work. It becomes so difficult for the other factors to work. It doesn't work. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. You become a street child in the spirit. There are orphans in the spirit, I tell you. Who are not supposed to be orphans? 
You see, their dad is around, their father is around, but he's pointing them to a place to go to. Join yourself to this place. They'll go and sit down and they start complaining. The church is not nice. A pastor, the way he talks is not so nice. Brother, that is where your solical salvation is. You need to be serious. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that true? It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Next verse. That's the general equation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the general equation. Then he starts letting you know the details of the equation. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You cannot call upon the Lord when you have not believed in him. Then he says, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? You cannot believe something that you have not heard. If you don't know that uh, um, healing is available, if you've not heard that healing is available and that you can be healed of that sickness that you have, brother, you can't believe and hence you cannot have healing. So he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? So God sends a preacher to you to preach to you, to get you to hear so that you can believe and so that you can have the result you are supposed to have. Without that, brother, you are in trouble. You will coast for a very long time. You will move around for a very long time trying to find your footing, spiritually speaking. You will go anywhere. There are Christians who go, who go to Juju, who go to uh, fetish priests. They are Christians, but then they've not been thought. They've not been taught, so they'll do here a little and there a little. Yeah, because, they, you see, it's like they are lacking the power of God in their life. They want change, but they are not seeing the change in the church. They don't know what to do, so they end up going to those places. Now, the fetish priests are wearing clerical. A lot of fetish priests are wearing clerical now. And they are sitting in churches. And they have consultation. You come. I was, I was being told just two days ago of a man who lost so much money because one of these seeming prophets... You know, deceived him and took his money out of him. Yeah, so many of them are doing all kinds of things. You see, because the church has failed to do what it's supposed to do. And individuals, children of God, have failed to ask God, where do you want me to be? They failed to be concerned about their growth spiritually. You don't need to see any spiritualist, any prophet somewhere in order to gain anything from the Lord. When he's your father, he says, ask and receive whatsoever you desire. When he asks, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That's what he said. You don't need to go through any man. You don't need to go through any, anybody. You don't need to go through Mary. You don't need to go through any prophet. You don't need to go through anybody. He says, henceforth, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. So that you may, you, may, you, may, you, may, you may receive. And so that your joy may be full. Since the Father himself loves you. That's what Jesus said. The Father himself loves you. The Father loves you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your request. You don't need to go to anybody. But if you have not been taught, if you've not been taught, you'll be surprised. Most of our parents have not been taught as they were supposed to. So you see them going here. So on Sunday morning, they are sitting in a certain church somewhere. Monday morning, they are in another prophet's house. Tuesday, they are in another one. Wednesday they are here. Thursday they are here. We have walk on Friday all night somewhere. It's a problem. It's a problem. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you need the right spiritual family in order for you to be thought as you are supposed to. Okay? One of the greatest needs of man is shepherds, shepherding, or spiritual families. And God has made provision for that. That is why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, what I was reading, he says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the purpose of perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. 
Do you see? He gave them so that we can grow, we can be cultured, we can be raised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the greatest need of humanity is shepherds, the need of shepherds. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, look at Matthew 9, 36. Jesus saw many people. He says, but when he saw, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Let's read the Amplified of this. He says, when he saw the throngs, that's the multitude, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, and distressed, and dejected, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of many of God's children. Harassed, bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless. Helpless, spiritually speaking. Anything can just happen to them. The devil can just do whatever he wants to do with them. How can a Christian be driving and have an accident and die? And that's the end. No, it's not supposed to be like that. It's not supposed to be like that. How can a Christian just have cancer hit him? And then he, the next thing we hear is that he's dead. No, it's not supposed to be like that. How can a Christian be so poor throughout his life and die a pauper? It's not supposed to be like that. Not at all. Not according to the scriptures. Not according to the word of God. But the Lord, you see, you need a shepherd. You need a spiritual family so that you can be thought. A lot of people have been taught that sickness is even the will of God for them. That is wrong shepherding, wrong teaching, wrong doctrine. And he says he wants you to grow so that you will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. By the slate of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in which to deceive. Anybody says anything and then that's it, you pick it up. No, there's something wrong. You don't just eat anything by the roadside. If you see fruits gathered by the roadside, you don't get down and go and pick it up to eat. No, you eat where you're supposed to eat. You don't eat anywhere. You see, so he's expecting you to grow. How? Find your spiritual family. And when you find that what this man is saying is helping me. If what I'm saying is helping, if you are growing with what I'm saying, this is your church. Stay in it. If you are in the church and you are not going as you are supposed to, exit as quickly as you can. Find the spiritual. Pray about it. Knew that and tell God, God, lead me where you have designed for me to be, for me to grow. Don't say, this is my mother church. What do you mean by your mother church? How about father church? And uncle church and auntie church? And sister church? What are you talking about? It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Are you able to believe what is being said? Do you understand what is being said? Are you able to produce results with what you are hearing? If not, if you can't even understand what is going on, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Because knowledge and understanding is what you are fed with by your shepherd. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15. Look at Jeremiah 3 15. Yes, and I'll give you pastors. God says, I will give you pastors according to my heart. I will give you pastors according to my heart. So he knows, he knows his children. Like I said, he's a multi-wound one and a multi-breasted one. He will point you to where you're supposed to go to. He'll point you to it. And I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. They'll feed you with knowledge. They'll feed you with knowledge. They'll feed you with the right information. That is so important. Getting the right information is so important. It's called the key of knowledge. Knowledge is key. It's a key. They are keys that help you open doors. Without the key, you cannot enter the room to enjoy what is inside the room. Do you see? So getting the right knowledge is so important. For instance, there are some people who have been taught that you need to be anointed over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's a problem. So today they are asking for double portion. 
Then tomorrow they'll ask for triple portion. Then the next time they'll ask him for the quadruple portion. Yeah. They want more, more and more and more. Meanwhile, the word of God, the knowledge of God's word says that God has given you his anointing. The Holy Ghost is inside you. All of God is inside you. What you need is to allow what is inside you to come forth. That is all you need to do. So the right knowledge is so important. The Bible says, how forceful are right words. Right words. So it's not just any knowledge, but the right knowledge of God's word. There are some things that will not help you to grow. What will help you to grow is called the knowledge of the grace of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Acts 20, 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. So all of us are sanctified as far as God is concerned. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Let's go there quickly and come back here, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified. Have you seen it? We are all sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are justified and sanctified. So we are part of the sanctified sons and daughters of God. So he says that I'm commending you to God. Acts chapter 20 verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up or develop you or grow you and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So even though we are all sanctified, there are those who are enjoying the inheritance and there are those who are not enjoying the inheritance. Why? Because they've not had access to the word of his grace, which will be able to build them up. So he says, I'll give you pastors after my heart, according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and also feed you with understanding. It's not just knowledge. It's like getting the food into your mouth and getting it into your stomach. Do you see? That is knowledge. That's the first level. After the meal has gone in, then the meal needs to be digested. Isn't it? So that it can be assimilated into your system and become a part of your body. The fact that you are eating does not mean that it's going to be a part of your body. If there's a problem with your digestive system, you are in trouble. So understanding is what gets the essence of the knowledge that you have into your system for you to grow. He says he gives you ministers, pastors, who feed you with knowledge and with understanding. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 3. So God gives you men and women of God or a family, a spiritual family, that will help you believe and that will help you get knowledge and understanding. They'll feed you with knowledge and understanding whilst caring, protecting, charging, and comforting you. Okay? He says, the elders which are among you are exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also a particular of the glory that shall be revealed. Next verse. It says, feed the flock of God. So he, he's told the shepherd, he says, feed the flock of God. Because that's your responsibility. If you are in a proper sheepfold, you'll be fed. And feeding comprises getting the food inside your mouth and getting it assimilated to be part of you. So feeding has to do with knowledge and understanding. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. Knowledge and understanding is equal to feeding. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it says, feed the flock of God. How do you feed the flock of God? Get them the knowledge and get them the understanding. Let them understand. If after a service, if, if after a message, you're unable to understand what was said, you are clueless. You are sitting there, you're just looking. It's like the preacher has preached. He's sweating. He's really sweating. But then you can't, you can't understand. Everybody's sitting watching. There's a problem. He imparted you with knowledge. There was no understanding. 
there was no revelation that came to you. There's a problem. He says, feed the church of the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. That's one thing that is done for you. Oversight. You are taking care of, spiritually speaking. Taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for free to look at, but of a ready mind. Have you seen it? Taking the oversight. That's another thing that comes as a result of being in a spiritual family. You have oversight. There's an oversight over you. There's someone who can say, brother, what you're doing is wrong. Someone who is confident enough. Don't go to a church where you are not known. You walk in and walk out. You've been in the church for two years and nobody knows you. You walk in and you walk out. The pastor does not know you. His assistant pastors that do not know you. None of his leaders know you. You just walk in and walk out. There's a problem. There's no oversight over your life. You are living the way you want to live. And you are doing what you want to do. And you remain like that for a very long time. That's not a correct church to be in. You must be known. Any correct church, Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. And they follow me. And I know them. You can read some. John chapter 10. Let's read from verse 3 into verse 4. So John 10, 3 into 4. It says, To him the potter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Let's read from verse 1. I think it would be nice from verse 1. Let's just read from verse 1, okay? He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that entered not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse 2. But he that entered in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Next verse. To him, that's the shepherd, the porter openeth. And the sheep hear his voice. They hear his voice. So if you cannot hear what is happening, what is being said, you go on a Sunday, you come back, you go again on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, you keep going and come, you keep, but you can't hear anything. You've been there for years. You should know there's something wrong. The day your trouble comes, you see that you'll be surprised that you'll be at a fetish priest's house. You'll be shocked. That whatever you are told to do, you will do. If you are told to buy 75 gallons of oil and bath with it, you'll be surprised that you'll do it. Because you ain't hearing. You ain't hearing the voice of that shepherd. It's not, a pro- it's not that he's not a shepherd. He is. Just that his voice is not designed for you to hear. You need to find the voice that you are going to hear. To him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. Does anybody know you? Can anybody mention your name? If they can't mention your name, there's something wrong. If nobody knows your name, I'm not saying the bishop should know your name. That's what I'm talking about. The bishop is one person. He has appointed many pastors and many bishops to be with him. Someone must know your name. You must be identified and you must be part of a sheepfold. We must know that you're part of the family. How come you're part of a family and we don't know you? You can't be part of a family and not be known. If you're in a family, you must be known. Someone must know you. You must be the son of somebody in a system. Or the cousin of somebody in a system. You can't just be around. Stop that thing that you've been doing. You are in stealth mode. You start to buy 75 gallons of oil and bath with it. You'll be surprised that you'll do it. Because you weren't hearing. You weren't hearing the voice of that shepherd. It's not, a pro- it's not that he's not a shepherd. He is. Just that his voice is not designed for you to hear. You need to find the voice that you are going to hear. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. Does anybody know you? Can anybody mention your name? If they can't mention your name, there's something wrong. If nobody knows your name, I'm not saying the bishop should know your name. That's what I'm talking about. The bishop is one person. He has appointed many pastors and many bishops to be with him. Someone must know your name. You must be identified. 
and you must be part of a sheepfold. We must know that you are part of the family. How come you are part of a family and are, we don't know you? You can't be part of a family and not be known. If you are in a family, you must be known. Someone must know you. You must be the son of somebody in a system or the cousin of somebody in a system. You can't just be around. Stop that thing that you've been doing. You are in stealth mode. You sneak into the church and you sneak out of the church. You are like CIA in the system. It's not supposed to be like that. He says he called his own ship by name and leaded them out. That is oversight. You are led in life. We know about your marriage. We know about who you are, who you are dating. We know who is sleeping with you. We know it. You have multiple boyfriends and your pastors don't know. You, you come to the church, oh, pastor, hello. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise the Lord. You look like an angel in the church. Only you know. Only you and God know what is really going on with you. It's not supposed to be like that. Oversight. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I don't know if you like my message. Let's read the Amplify. So we just go straight to the point, okay? He says, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. So, God gives you people, a family, okay, under whose authority you can be, so that they can have oversight. Apart from feeding you with knowledge and understanding, they have oversight over you. There's an authority over your life. There's someone you can respond to. Do you see? Like, if they say what you're doing is wrong, someone you're afraid of, who are you afraid of? Are you afraid? <laughs> Understand when we say afraid. You revere the person so much that when they say something, you will do what they are saying you should do. How can you be in a church where you are a boss? You will never learn anything. You will never be raised. You are a boss. Whether you are the pastor's wife or... If you are the pastor's wife and you are messing up, you are fooling around. You are a boss in the system. You should know that you are not being shepherded. You need to be shepherded by your husband so that you can flow as you are supposed to. You are the branch uh, pastor's wife, so you are like this. When they are talking, it's not to you, it's to them. There's something wrong. You've not grown since you... Your problem is that you got married to a pastor. That is your problem. I will talk about this later. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls. How can we keep watch over your souls if we don't know you? And guarding your spiritual welfare as men who have to render an account of their trust. Just as you have been entrusted to your natural parents, God entrusts you to spiritual parents as well. Okay? For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not to sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable to you either. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you need a spiritual family. Where you can be taken care of. Okay? There can be authority over your life. You can be fed with knowledge and understanding so that you can grow in the Lord. You can be protected. There are fights we fought for some people. We've yeah. protected them against all kinds of things. We showed them both spiritually and physically. One of our pastors is in the police station right now as I'm talking to you. Just defending one of his sheep. Defending one of his sheep so that his sheep does not spend the night in the prison cell. But if there's no shepherd, you can't call. You call a friend. The friend will not mind you. You must be known. So that you can grow. It is important or else you will not be fed adequately. Please, you understand. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 from verse 6. It's lovely. I think you'll love it. Paul says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you. 
even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. <laughs> are you in a family, a spiritual family, where you are dear unto the people? Or nobody sees you, you are just going and coming. Nobody sees your struggle. What's going on? They must see your struggle and come to your aid. Says, so being affectionate desires of you, we're willing to have impacted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Says, we're like nurses that were cherishing you. We're nurses that were cherishing you. Go back to that place, verse 7. Let's read it in the Amplified. But we behave gently when we're among you, like a devoted mother, nursing and cherishing her own children. This is what happens in spiritual families. You are nourished, you are cherished, you are nursed, you are cared for, you are protected. You are made to know what is wrong in your life. You are corrected. One of the things, there's a motherly affection that comes from the spiritual family that you have and the fatherly affection that comes from the family that you have. Mothers are into nourishing and cherishing. He says that we nourished you and cherished you, nursing you like a devoted mother, nursing and cherishing your own children. Go down, go to verse, jump to verse 9. In the King James. Just for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Next verse. For ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Two things. The motherly side and the fatherly side. The father side into exhorting. He says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Let's read the Amplified, maybe to help us. For you know how as a father dealing with his children, we used to exhort each of you personally, stimulating and encouraging and charging you. Wow. Wow. Personally, you can be called and told. Thing, do it like this and do it like that. You can be charged with a military charge. Get this done now, or else can a pastor say that to you, or can a leader say that to you? get this done, or else stop this thing, read this book, or else, or else, what? Or else what? Some, that's how that's what happened, or else what? What will you do to me? As long as it's like that's in your life, you should know that there's something wrong with your spiritual growth. Yeah, you see, the blessing of being told what to do departs your life as you grow up, naturally speaking. As you grow up, naturally speaking, you don't have anybody to advise you. Even when you are doing wrong. I don't know if you've noticed, some fathers have gone wrong for a long time. And they've gone wrong to their death. Because there was no spiritual authority in their life who could tell them, what you're doing is wrong. Do it like this. At age 70, you could be told. Or at age 55, you could be told by a pastor who knows you. That, brother, do it like this. And you respond. So when counsel departs out of your life, you should know that you're in trouble. Your trouble has begun. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we must grow spiritually, okay? Yeah. yeah, I've showed you man's greatest need. Shepherding. Spiritual families. That can help. It's the first and most important because without that, you cannot be fed. Without that, you cannot be taken care of. Without that, you cannot awaken to the fatherhood of God. You don't have the right knowledge. And so you cannot grow as you're supposed to. You cannot have inheritance, spiritual inheritance. You have to depend on others. Out there. Always having just little, little things to eat. You get a little here. And we don't, you don't even know what you're eating. You have trouble. Hallelujah. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. 
all the way to 38. This is so important. Now, what I'm going to read to you is a very lovely record in the Bible. Okay? It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, and a Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So this was an Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was going back to Ethiopia. Was returning and sitting in the chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. He was reading the book of Isaiah. I don't know if you've read the book of Isaiah before, but he was reading the book of Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran that to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading? He asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? This is a situation of many people, many Christians, many Christians. He asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Look at the man's answer. And he said, how can I? He responded in an angry manner. How can I? You know, because religion will teach you that. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. But you don't understand what you are reading. You need to be assisted. You need to be taught. And he said, how can I? Except some man should guide me. I need a man to guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Brother, you must invite some people to come and sit with you in your life. To guide you, spiritually speaking, help you with the word of God. So that you can have understanding and produce fruits with the word of God that you hear. So that you can grow to the full knowledge of God. It's not an independent something. You can't sit in your room and say that, oh, I have the Bible with me, I'm reading my Bible. That's true, you have to read your Bible. But brother, you need to be guided. He says, how can I? Except some man should guide me. There's a man sent from God to help you and guide you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at verse 32. It's nice. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his sharer, so opened he not his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the Enoch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself? Of some other man. He was asking, ah, is he talking about himself? Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? He was reading it, but he didn't understand who was being spoken of. He didn't understand what was going on. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. The one he didn't understand. At the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came onto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. And that's what does hinder me to be baptized. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Next verse. And he commanded the child to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Both Philip, they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. He was reading something that would bring him salvation, bring him into the kingdom of God. But he had no clue of what it was. That the word of God that he was reading was the solution to his eternal problem of deciding between heaven and hell. But he had no idea. He needed a man sent from God to guide him. He needed a family. He needed a father, a mother to teach him, a shepherd to teach him and help him produce results so that the word of God that is reading in the Bible will make sense and help him get results. He got his results. He got born again and got baptized and had an experience with God because Philip was taken away from him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you cannot have results. You, it's not possible if you are not thought. 
how can you be taught appropriately? You must be in a proper spiritual atmosphere. And you see, there are things you need to do, and I want to share it with you, okay? Along this line, before we go to point two. There are things you need to do. You need to plant yourself in that family in order to grow. When you find that family, you plant yourself in that spiritual family in order to grow. Present yourself. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You present your body, present yourself, plant yourself. Don't do uh, hiding techniques. Today you are in, tomorrow you are not in. Today you are online, the next time you are not online. You know that this is blessing, you know that this one is helping you, but you are doing shifting cultivation. Oh, should I? I don't know if it's going on. I don't. Hey, brother, you are playing with your life. You are playing with your destiny without knowing it. Be where God wants you to be. Plant yourself there. Psalm ninety-two, verse twelve. Psalm ninety-two, verse twelve. I have so many things to say about this. So many. Says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The righteous. This is the destiny of the righteous. Go back. Go to verse twelve. This is the destiny of the righteous. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Are you the righteousness of God? And God said, your destiny is to flourish like the palm tree. It shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The palm tree is used from root to tip. Everything about the palm tree is good for the use of man. In other words, everything about you will flourish. That is your destiny. Then it says, you shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon are the strongest wood in the whole world. They are stronger than some stones even. Very strong. In other words, you grow from strength to strength. Your health will be impeccable. Your life will be impeccable. Your finances will be impeccable. You grow financially. You grow health-wise. You grow in dominance and influence. That's, that's your destiny. That's the destiny of a righteous man. Next verse. Then he goes on to explain how that will happen to the righteous man. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. It is those who are planted... It is those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the court of our God. They are the ones who flourish. The destiny of a righteous man is flourishing. But if he's not planted, that is not going to work. How can you flourish when you're not planted? It's not going to work. He says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the court of our God. Next verse, verse 14. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. They shall be fat. He's not talking about being big. Naturally, he's talking about increase, becoming powerful, more influential as the years go by. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Verse 15. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. There's no unrighteousness in him. If you don't plant yourself, you will not get anything. That's how he is. If you are not planted, you can't grow. If you are planted, then you can be assured of growth. So that says to show that the Lord is upright. He's done it like that to show that he's upright. If you keep missing meetings, if you keep not showing up and all of that, there are things that will happen. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Verse 18. So the first thing is that you should what? Plant yourself permanently in that particular spiritual family in order to grow. In other words, get involved with what is going on. Be around. Show up. If we say we are gathering online, show up online. If we say we are gathering physically, show up physically. Whatever it is, show up. Hallelujah. Yeah. Don't miss the gathering of the saints. 
I don't miss church services of any form of any kind. Whatever it is that we say, that your spiritual, if you know that we are, we are spiritual leaders and we say do this. I mean, we are not trying to kill you. Whatever instruction we give is not an instruction to destroy your life. It's an instruction to help you, to protect you. We are not Jim Jones. We are look for Jim Jones. Don't miss the gathering of the saints, okay? Don't miss church services. Matthew 18, 18. It says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on, uh, on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Check your Bible. Check the whole of the Gospels and check the whole of Acts. And check how many times the disciples gathered, physically speaking, and what happened when they gathered. I don't have time to take you through. There were explosive miracles that happened as a result of their gathering. It was not a small thing. Whenever they gathered together, Jesus would show up. In the Gospels, he would show up amongst them. After his resurrection, he would show up. In the book of Acts, when they gather together and they pray, the place shakes, they are all filled with the Holy Ghost. When they gather, something beautiful happens. The Holy Ghost says something. So he says that, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, this, this, this means something very powerful. He's talking about physical gathering. Or whichever gathering that is called for by the apostles or by your spiritual authority. Not missing services. Basically, okay. So, um, the word "in" he says, "For where two or three are gathered together in my name." That word "in" there is supposed to be "n e i e n," but the Greek there is "is" e i s. Okay, and it means "into." So, what this word is trying to say: "For where two or three are gathered to, together into my name," meaning that you leave. He's talking about leaving one room and going to another room. Do you understand? Yeah. Leaving one location and going into another location. Move from wherever you are into where he wants you to be. Whichever location he points to you. In other words, leave your individualism. Leave your pride. Leave your foolishness. And gather with your heart into what he wants you to gather into. Whichever meeting he wants you to be in. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So he says, gather, that means to gather into. Okay? And his name is his person. Jesus is not different from his name. His name is him. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You know? his, his power is invested in his name. His personality is invested in his name. So he's saying that when you gather together, you actually gather into my name. You gather into my personality. Remember, we are supposed to grow into his personality. So every church gathering is an opportunity for us to gather into his personality. If you enter ink, what happens to you when you come out? You become ink when you come out, isn't it? Yeah. If you enter ink or if you enter water and you come out of the water, you come out wet. Okay? So every physical gathering or every church gathering, whichever one, online, physical, whatever gathering we have, is actually an opportunity for the personality of Christ to be imparted to your personality some more. That's what he's talking about. For where two or three are gathered together into my name, into my personality, there the word am I in the midst of them. It's actually there I am. In the midst of them. That's what it means. I am. I am is in the midst of them. Who is the great I am? Remember Moses? When Moses was going to take Israel out of God, God was sending him. He asked God, what do I say when I go? Then God told him that when you go, say that I am the I am. Who sent me? I am the I am. I am is the one who has sent you. 
I am means I am whatever you want me to be. In other words, when we gather together like that, into his name, into his personality like that, anything is possible. God is anything to us. That is when the great I am gets the opportunity to do what he wants to do in our lives. When Jesus met the blind man in John chapter 9, he told him, I am the light of the world. He became light for the blind. I am the light of the world. When he found himself in the desert with so many people who were hungry, he became the I am. He said, before he multiplied bread, he said, I am the bread of life. Then he brought bread to them. <laughs> when he got to Lazarus' tomb, and Lazarus was dead, before he did anything, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am whatever you need me to be when you gather together into my name. Can you imagine? That is why many miracles happen when we gather. When Christians gather, power. Because I am is present. Anything is possible. I am is whether it's online, physical. I am is present. I am is present. So if you take yourself out, what do you think will happen to you? If you take yourself out, if you keep taking yourself out, you don't have opportunity to grow. You don't have opportunity to be imparted. You are starving yourself. You are destroying your own life. Yeah. Because you are not exposed to the great I am. He said, I am the good shepherd. To those who don't have shepherds, before he told them about shepherding, he said, I am the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He can shepherd your soul. All the depression can leave. I am whatever you need me to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can read. It says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the truth. You get truth whilst you are in church. He says, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. That is the holding base and the apex roof of the truth. That is where you get reality. Because as we gather, we are preaching to you. Grace is multiplied unto you. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. So as we are sharing the word of God like this, grace is brought to you. Peace is brought to you. Can you imagine? Glory is brought to you. And you say you will miss church. You keep missing it. You keep missing it. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. There's something you are supposed to watch. That's the second point. So I have to finish this part so that the other part can come. Hebrews 10, 24. It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Guess what the good works is? Not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see that they are approaching. It says, as you see the, the coming of Christ, like it's getting closer and closer. It says, don't forsake the assembling together of ourselves. As the manner of some is. It is some Christian's manner. The word manner is custom. It is their culture. It is their rule. Their philosophy that church is not important. So some Christians go once a year. Some go once a month. Some go once in six months. Some only go during weddings. Yeah. Or when they are in trouble, then they show up at the entrance of the church. That's the first night. Brother, you are in trouble. It is... That's the manner of some. Not forsaking the assembly together of ourselves, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You cannot be exhorted, you cannot be comforted if you keep missing the services, missing the church services. That is the pillar and the ground of truth. That is the only way you can receive grace, as you're supposed to. Because as you preach like this, you are changed, you are fed, you are protected, you are taken care of, you are showed things that you have to miss. Like, don't go along this line. You, you hear things that will help you. We can be preaching. The word of God is like the sun. As you are preaching, it's coming to everybody. The sun can be used to dry clothes. Those who need it for drying their clothes will get their effect. Those who need to dry fish will get their effect. Those who need it for electricity will get their effect. Everybody gets their effect. 
as the word of God comes. So you may need it for something. You may need the word to help you with something. With depression, to help you. With healing, it will help you. With job, it will help you. With something, it will help you. If you keep missing it, you will miss out. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, not forsaking the assembly together of ourselves. The word forsaking there, okay? The Greek word is eg kataleposis. Okay? Eg kataleposis. E-G-K-A-T-A-L-E-P-O-S. Okay, let's just do ek katalepo. Okay? It still works. E-G-K-A-T-A-L-E-I-P-O. That's a Greek word. Okay? And it's from three words. You see, it's long. It's from three words. The word egg, E-G, is out. O-U-T, out. And the word kata, K-A-T-A, is the word down. D-O-W-N, down. And the word... Lepo, L-E-I-P-O, okay? It's actually from the word Lepontis, which is behind, to leave behind. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, if you put it together, this is what he's saying. Christians who have the manner, custom, attitude of missing services are out and down and behind in life. So, missing services puts you out puts you down and puts you behind in life. But I don't know if you want to be out, down, and behind in life. Because instead of coming to the place where you receive grace and truth, you will not come. You miss out. So they miss out. Those who are like that miss out on angelic ministrations. They miss out on the graces of God. They miss out on the glory of God. They miss out on the peace of God distributed on that day. Because every meeting has angels. It says, when you gather together, I am. It's there, isn't it? And when you gather, it's not when you're alone. When you gather, I am is in your midst. And I am does not come alone. I am comes with angels. Not when you're listening to the message. It's a different thing. When you're listening to the message, it's a different package. But when you gather together, that is when I am is there. I tell you. There's a certain kind of faith you will never have. Unless you are gathered together. Is there any kind of experience you will never have unless we are gathered together? Is the truth. Is the truth. So they miss out. That's why they fall out in life. Because they miss out on angelic ministrations that come during those services. They miss out on the graces of God that comes during those services. They miss out on the glory of God, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord that is distributed during those times. They are down. Because they don't come, they are down. They are downcast in life, depressed, oppressed, and perplexed in life because of a lack of the rema of God. The word of God that brings revelation, insight, that helps you have peace in life. I don't think you want to be part of that. Then they are behind in everything, in prosperity, in marriage, in excellence, in goodness, in everything. Eh, what did David say? And now dwell in the house of the Lord forever, isn't it? Yes. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because dwelling in the house of the Lord is what causes goodness and mercy to follow you. And goodness and mercy is what causes you to be ahead in life. It's not because of smartness that you go ahead in life. It's because of the goodness of God that puts you ahead in life. So you need your spiritual family to grow. What do you think? Yeah. You need your spiritual family to grow. 
so important. And your spiritual family is so important. Get actively involved. Plant yourself. Don't miss the services. Get actively involved in what is happening. Plant yourself. Like be part of that. Because you see, we are part of the building of God. And we must all grow together to become what God has designed for us to become. Hallelujah. Point number two. This is point number one. Point number two is food. Six factors that will help us what? Grow spiritually. The first one is to find your what? Find out your spiritual nuclear family. Plant yourself and plant yourself in order to grow. That's what I've explained so far. I think I spent over an hour talking about that. Now, the next one, which is point number two, the second factor that will help your growth is food, which is the word of God. The word of God will help you grow. You need to be fed right. Okay? You need to be fed right. That is the logos and the realm of God, the written and the revealed word of God. And at this juncture, I want to show you a video by a very wonderful man of God called Andrew Womack. He's thought on how the word of God impacts your spiritual growth. And he's explained what spiritual growth is. I've said this over and over and over again. But this comes with illustrations, which I believe will really help you. You need it. You really need it. And I want you to watch this. It's just a 19-minute video. I'll be back after this 19 minutes. Pay close attention to it. It will help you a million. Normally, people don't understand what spiritual growth is. This will help you to know what spiritual growth is and how important the place of the word in your growth spiritually. I'll be back. God bless you. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I'm going to be talking about uh, spirit, soul, and body, which may not sound the most exciting thing to you on the surface, but to me, this is one of the most exciting things that the Lord has ever shown me. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is so obvious. We are made up of a spirit, soul, and body. And the body is very obvious. If you go look in a mirror, that's the part that you see now, you would be speaking to my soul, which is my mental, emotional part. Some people define soul as your mind, will, and emotions, and I think that that certainly is true. I don't think that it's all-inclusive. There's more to it. I believe that your conscience is a part of your soul. Your soul certainly includes your mental, emotional part. Uh, I believe it's what most people call their personality. If I was to touch your physical body, you can feel that. But I can also touch you by words, and it can touch your emotions. It can either make you glad or sad. It can make you angry. Uh, you can say words and hurt a person. So the body and the soul are two areas that every one of us are in touch with constantly. But the spirit part of us is a totally different matter. Jesus said this in John chapter 3 when he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And there is no direct connection between the two. You cannot in a physical, natural way feel your spirit. The spirit cannot be accessed in any natural way, and herein lies one of the great problems in the Christian life. The Spirit is the part of us that God communicates with. And the Spirit is the part of us that all of the life and the power of God flows through. 
In James chapter 2, verse 26, the scripture there says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that just makes it very clear that the life-giving part of you is the spirit. One of the greatest keys to walking with the Lord for me has been to understand this reality of spirit, soul, and body, that the spirit realm cannot be seen or felt. The only way to discern what is spiritual truth is through the Bible, to just take it and believe it. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's revealing to us spiritual reality. And if you want to know what your spirit is like, then you have to go to God's word to find it out. You can't just go by an emotion, by some type of perception. You have to go to God's word. Here's another passage of scripture in James chapter 1. And in verse 23, it says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. This is talking about a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, talking about God's word, specifically the revelation of the gospel, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." This passage of Scripture is likening the Bible unto a mirror that you look in to see your spiritual face, to see what you are in the Spirit. You, with your eyes, have never looked directly into your face. You've always looked at a reflection or a representation, but you've gotten to where you trust that. Well, the Word of God is a perfect reflection of what spiritual truth is. You can't sit there and say, well, I think that, you know, all my mascara is on and that my face is fixed, my hair is combed, and I'm ready to go. You can't go by how you feel. You have to go look in that mirror, and then you trust what you see. Well, it's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God gives you a perfect picture of who you are in your spirit, and it's the only way. There is a total transformation that has taken place on the inside of every person who becomes born again. Now, you can see this in many places, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the scripture there says, If any person is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the next verse says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto God by himself. The Lord has totally changed you. It says, old things have, past tense, passed away, all things, present tense, reality, right now, have become new. And all things are of God. Now, if you don't understand this concept of spirit, soul, and body, you are instantly setting yourself up for confusion and frustration and ultimately unbelief. Because you can tell by process of elimination that this is not talking about your physical body. If you were fat before you got saved, you'll still be fat after you get saved. Your body didn't instantly pass away and all things become new. And your soul is also not the part of you that got saved. 
Because if you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. If you were depressed, if you didn't know math before you got saved, you will still be depressed. And you just don't instantly know math after you get saved. The soul is not changed. So by process of elimination, you can say it's not your body and it's not your soul. And so that leaves your spirit. Your spirit is a part of you that got totally changed at salvation. When a person makes Jesus Christ their Lord, there is instantaneous change that takes place. And yet that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it isn't in process, but it's already done. It's an accomplished fact, a done deal. And if you don't understand that that change takes place in the spirit and has to work its way out into the soul and the body, then you are going to instantly come into unbelief and begin to say, but it didn't change. I'm still the same. And it may cause some people to seriously doubt whether they were ever saved. But your spirit is right now as perfect, as mature, as complete as Jesus is. But when you get born again, your spirit gets elevated. It gets recreated to where it's literally, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, that God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's literally, when you get born again, your spirit passes away. The old spirit is taken out. It dies, is what the scripture says in Romans chapter 6. And God places within you the spirit of his son. That's what it says again in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, you aren't truly born again unless you receive God putting the spirit of his son in your heart. The spirit of Jesus has come to live inside of every born again person. And your spirit and the spirit of Jesus have intermarried. They've merged. They've become one so that. You are now a totally brand new person and the identity and the holiness, the makeup of your spirit is identical to Jesus. John 4, 24, Jesus said this. He said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how can holy God fellowship with unholy man? Even at our very best, we still fall short of God's standards. Well, the way it happens is, is that when you put faith in Jesus, you become born again, and in your spirit, you become a brand new creature that is righteous and holy. You are as pure and holy in your spirit as Jesus is because it's his righteousness that has been given unto you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says that Jesus is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus has become our righteousness. And then as you get your soul in agreement with what is already transpired in your spirit, then you see the physical benefit. Your spirit has to flow through your soul to get into your body, into the physical world. The soul has a valve on it. And basically, that is the function of your mind, your mental, emotional part, the soulish part of you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead already indwells every born-again believer. But if your mind is like a valve, and if it's closed to that, if it doesn't embrace that truth and renew its mind and get to where what you see in the Word of God, in the spiritual mirror, 
if that doesn't become more real to you than what you see in your physical mirror, then it's possible for this resurrection life that's in your spirit to be completely shut off, just like you would shut the valve on a faucet. And you say, but I feel sick. My body hurts. The doctor says I'm dying. Here's my medical record. And if those things dominate you, that soul can shut off that power so that not one drop of God's life-giving power ever touches your physical body. And you can die sick having the resurrection life of God on the inside of you. And, of course, you can apply that to every area of your life. You can have depression in you. You can have uh, anger and bitterness when the whole time in your spirit there is love, joy, and peace, as it says in Galatians 5.22. So the critical part of you is actually the soul. And the rest of the Christian life is renewing of the mind. And as we do that, then the physical body will experience the benefit. The rest of the Christian life is a renewing of the mind, and as we do that, then the physical body will experience the benefit. Here's another scripture that says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. The word conform there means to be poured into the mold of. In other words, there's pressure from the world, from the devil, from unbelievers, from circumstances. You can't go through life without being pressured. You come into this life innocent and pure, but you don't exit that way just automatically. You're going to be melted, but you get to pick what mold you fit into. That word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorpho, and it's the word we get metamorphosis from. The process where a little worm spins a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly. If you want that kind of transformation change, metamorphosis, so that you begin to start in your physical and emotional realm changing from the bitter, hurtful person, from the sick person, from the defeated person into the victorious person that God wants you to be. If you want that kind of change, the way it happens, Romans 12, 2 says, is by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew that mind? It's through the Word of God. God's Word tells you what is spiritually true. It gives you new values, new attitudes, and you have to conform yourself to what God's Word has to say about you. The knowledge of God's Word is critical. You've got to have it. But you've got to have the understanding of that knowledge, the application of it. In other words, knowledge is like taking food and putting it in your mouth. It's the first step. But you know what? You actually have to swallow that food, and your body has to start digesting it before all of the nutrients and the benefit in that food begins to release into your body. The knowledge of God is important, but it's only important if you can understand it, if you can begin to release the life that's in it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity 
of their mind. Now, the word Gentile here is talking about a non-Jew. The way we would express this today is say, don't walk like a lost man, a person that doesn't have a relationship with God. If you don't begin to start thinking spiritually minded instead of carnal minded, then you will shut off the flow of the life of God through you. A scripture that goes along with this is Romans 8, 6. And that verse says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mindedness doesn't mean necessarily sinful mindedness. Now, all sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. The word carnal literally means of the five senses. In other words, don't let your mind be dominated only by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You can perceive reality beyond that. Your soul can, through faith, you can believe the Word of God, and you can, you can believe things that you can't see. In other words, you could do it like a mathematical formula. Spiritual mindedness equals life and peace. Carnal mindedness equals death. This isn't talking about only physical death, but depression is death. Uh, death is anything that's a result of sin, whether it's the ultimate physical death of your body or if it's talking about the slow death of emotional sadness, loneliness, bitterness, anger, all of those things. So it says that if you walk like a Gentile, then you aren't using your mind for spiritual things. You're just dominated by the natural. That produces a darkening of the understanding. And then it says being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. If you are dominated by physical, natural things instead of by spiritual truth, it alienates you from the life of God. And this is what's happened with most of us. We have not thought the way God thought. Here's a scripture in Philemon. Paul wrote this to a friend of his, Philemon, and he prayed a prayer for him. And in verse 6, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6, he prayed that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a radical statement. He says the communication, the release or transfer of your faith may become effectual. The word effectual means it just begins to work, begins to be productive. And how does that happen? He said by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He didn't say that your faith begins to work by getting more faith, by going to God and getting a new anointing, a double portion, getting more of God. See, those are concepts that you'll hear often, but the truth is that's not reality. There is a process of renewing the mind. It's not instantaneous. It's not just one thought that changes your life. But this one thought is so radical, it would begin the process. And there, there is patience and there's a growth in the soulish realm, understanding, maturing. But if you just believe that one truth, how radically that would change our lives. You do have the potential to believe it. You can renew your mind. And if you will renew your mind, then you can be transformed and to where you will prove, manifest to your physical senses the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. If you will embrace the things that we've talked about, you can get to where you start seeing this perfection that came into your spirit at salvation begin to start flowing out through your soul and through your body to where it not only impacts you physically, but it'll even flow out beyond you and touch other people. And you can see virtue flow out of you the way that Jesus did and see other people healed. 
And it has now given me a different attitude that gives me a, a confidence and a security and a belief that allows me to confront problems and overcome problems that I wasn't able to confront before. I believe that this same teaching will do the same thing for you. I encourage you that, to recognize the importance of what we've talked about. I've only scratched the surface. We've got more teaching that we're going to be doing on this. I'm going to be saying it so many different ways that, praise God, I believe you're going to get it. And I just praise God, I believe that this truth will set you free the way that it has impacted my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are welcome back. I don't know if you enjoyed what you just watched. So it's so clear that you need the word of God. Without the word of God being that mirror for you, your soul will not have the change that it's supposed to have. And you will not grow spiritually. You will not have fruits. You will not grow as you're supposed to. So the word of God is the second important, very important, I think it's probably the most important, is the most important factor for your spiritual growth. Hallelujah. And I know that those illustrations have helped. You can keep watching them. It will be online. So you can just go back and watch it once again and see how the whole thing is like. You know, like the man of God showed us. It's wonderful. And it will help you big time. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands wherever you are and let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your children. Thank you for this knowledge, this revelation that you're bringing to us. Thank you that we'll grow spiritually and grow to to, to manhood as you have designed for us to go before the foundations of the earth. Thank you that no one listening to us or hearing us will be left behind in spiritual growth. We will grow spiritually and become wonderful, beautiful men and women of God that you have blessed and are blessings to this world, even in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.